Welcome to The Gray Report. I'm your host, Spencer Gray. And if you're a multifamily investor, whether you're on the active side, passive side, or you've just been in the industry for decades, well, this is the YouTube show and podcast that was really built especially for you, where we're breaking down the latest industry reports, research, data, having conversations with industry experts to really equip you with the best knowledge to make some really good decisions. Again, whether you're in the industry or you are making um, decisions about where to place your capital. We've got a really exciting episode. Paul Bergeron, who has been covering commercial real estate for decades, is joining us today. We're going to break down what's been going on in the commercial real estate sector. He's been prolific on writing articles, covering kind of the day-to-day happenings um, as we've been going through a dynamic period over the last 12 to 18 months in the last couple of days have only made things more interesting and more exciting. Um, So let's just get into it. All right. Welcome back to The Gray Report. Exciting show today. Paul Bergeron is joining us, who has been covering the commercial real estate industry for decades. Um, He's had positions at at a variety of major institutions, including Washington Post. He was the editor-in-chief director of communications at National Apartment Association. Um, He was the vice president of communications at the American Seniors Housing Association, um, the executive editor at Thought Leadership Today, and also a commercial real estate reporter at Globe Street and a variety of other things that he has got going on. You probably have read Paul's articles, whether it's in Globe Street or elsewhere, again, covering the commercial real estate industry. Paul, so excited to have you on. We read your stuff all the time here at Great Capital and The Great Report. It's a pleasure to actually speak with you. Um, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I mean, March is one of my favorite months. I mean, you know, you're talking about commercial real estate right now, and and everyone said March Madness was the basketball tournament. Well, it's, it sounds like it's more something to do with financing at this point. So, uh, never a dull moment. And never, never a dull moment. We, I mean, we thought things were exciting um, past several weeks and several months. I mean, it's been a volatile period, and then you know, at the end of last week, as last week. Um, things really started um, getting interest, interesting with the failure of um, Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. Um, and you just um, penned a piece um, under the name Richard Berger today on Globe Street. Um, I got to read it this morning. It was exactly what I was kind of hoping we could talk about. Before we get into that, though, I'd love to learn just a little bit more about your kind of background, how you got into this space and covering commercial real estate. Um, yeah, I'd love to learn more. Yeah, so the 60 minute res- 60 second resume would be I was a journalist and reporter ever since I was in high school. Uh, graduated from James Madison University in Virginia with that degree. Uh, immediately went to work covering high school sports. I'm a, been a was a sports writer and a sports editor for 10 years. I worked at the Washington Post covering sports. Eventually I moved into association publishing where I was the staff writer for a couple of magazines and the editor in chief of those magazines. Uh, the most of which was at the National Apartment Association. For those out there who have ever read Units magazine, I was on the head person editor there from, I think, 2003 to 2000, right before the pandemic, actually. Um, After that, I kind of created my own thing, and I called it Thought Leadership Today, and I basically run it off my LinkedIn page. So if you look me up on LinkedIn, you'll see my logo that I made up 
and I gave myself the title of executive editor. I'm the only employee in the company. Um, I've been writing for anyone and everyone under that situation. And one of the clients that hired me was Globe Street, which is commercial real estate. So I was able to spread out from the apartment world. I mean, I, I've done apartments for over 20 years, Globe Street for a couple. So it's been exciting because I, I get to cover industrial and and hospitality and single family homes and everything under the sun when it comes to commercial real estate. Um, so yeah, my byline at Globe Street currently is Richard Berger. And part of the reason for that is I'm also working full time in the apartment industry. Uh, I'm employed by DH Management. So um, just kind of using that name for some of my apartment stories there, look for that uh, byline a couple of times every morning. And um, yeah, Globe Street's been a lot of fun. How, how did you get into commercial real estate? Because you were focusing on sports and what was the shift to say, I want to focus on this you know, relatively niche sector? <laughs> well, to be totally honest with you, the pay and the hours of work. <laughs> yeah, um, sports party can be a lot. Right. Yeah, I'm a reporter at heart. I was a sports writer for a long time, and I still I still cover basketball, believe it or not, uh, cool. on the side. I love high school basketball. But the hours and the pay weren't very good. So I had a friend who got a job at the National Apartment Association, and he's like, hey, they need someone to run their magazine. And I'm like, well, sure. you know. And I just kind of had to self-teach myself. Associations are great. If you, if you don't belong to one, you should. Um, there's local associations and national. Everyone was very helpful, knowledge sharing. I read and read and read and read and wrote and wrote and wrote and kind of became, you know, the resident expert in the space. I think I've got more years writing about the apartment industry than anyone. Um, when I became a free agent, uh, Globe Street, the editor there, needed some people. My name got thrown into the hat. She called me up. I said, sure, I can do this. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. That's a great story. And, and you know, it's not too um, dissimilar to how I think a lot of us get into commercial real estate because, you know, when you're you're growing up, you don't necessarily say, you know, commercial real estate is, you know, what my goal and what I want to do. You end up, you know, gaining some tools and resources and learning about it. And everyone has a unique story of where they kind of had that uh, door that opened an opportunity. And it's like, let me take a look at this. This is interesting. And then you kind of get hooked. Um, and it happened to me, I, I went to, I, I was a music major, um, at, at college and, and, you know, I still use, I was actually focused on production and recording. And so, you know, doing this and the podcast, I still get to use some, some of those skills, but mm -hmm. not necessarily core to, um, day and day commercial real estate. Um, well, that, well that's, that's, that's really interesting that you mentioned music yeah. because I've learned that one of the key people in my department at BH is a woman who is a jazz trumpet player in big oh, yeah. bands and in rock bands so she and I, and I love jazz so we've been talking non-stop about music while we're also talking about the apartment industry so oh, I mean, that's it cool. works it works it it, I mean, it, it, it does yeah. about the apartment industry that's so exciting and interesting is i kind of took the approach that you know everyone lives in well not everyone but most people have lived in an apartment before and everyone understands the the situation with housing and, and managing and moving and everything else and landlords. And I tried to bring the kind of the human everyday aspect of apartment management to Units Magazine rather than just talking about 
this company bought this property, this property sold yeah. this, this and that. I tried to create situations where I talked about what it's like to live in the apartment and how that's handled by management companies. And I think that became a very popular way of reporting on the industry. Yeah. Well, that, and that's refreshing because so often it gets broken down into just, yeah, transactions and numbers. And while there's plenty of math and numbers, you know, in the, in, in the industry, sometimes you can lose that human element and, you know, who are we really serving here? Mm -hmm. um, and oftentimes that focus can be on the investors, which is you know true, but also, you know, who at the end of the day, the customer is the actual resident, that renter in that property. And um, it, it's exciting on your move to, to um, BH because, you know, I, I was reading your, a recent piece that you penned um, that covers some of the trends in management um, property management, moving towards centralization and, uh, and optimization, and really putting the, um, the the resident first and the renter first, and that really resonated with me personally because we've been um, we at Gray Capital we started we we founded a property management company um, just less than a year ago and we started bringing that in house and so we're still in the process of build, you know of building um, this new um, operation and you know property management. It's a lot of details. It's very just operationally intensive, intensive, and new ways to look at it um, are going to be critical going forward as costs of insurance, property taxes, labor, materials, everything is increasing, and so it's going to also in a period of declining rent growth and demand. And so, being able to control those expenses is going to be critical going forward. Um, and so that's a really fascinating that you're going to be having that opportunity. Have you always wanted to, I guess, work inside of the apartment industry and not just cover it? I don't know if I would have always wanted to do it, but it's always piqued my interest. And when this opportunity came up um, and basically I'm, I'm writing content for them and, and, and things like that. Um, I just thought it would be a nice adventure and I'm sure it will be. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So I want to turn a little bit to kind of um, your style and in reporting um, and some of the methodology because you know at, we were talking just before the um, we started recording and you said you know hey you know I'm not necessarily an economist and and I'm not either I, I play one on on YouTube um, once a week but I'm you know I don't have a you know classically trained um, or degree in in economics but you you seek, seek out um, expert opinions from those in the industry. And a lot of your pieces um, are really getting, you know, insights from those that are, you know, in the middle. Um, so I, I'm curious about your, that process and how you've built that network um, of sources to reach out to, because you're very prolific, have a lot of um, pieces that come out all the time. And on each one, you're pulling all kinds of quotes from all kinds of different people in the industry. And so I'd just love to hear more about kind of your approach and methodology. Well, I really appreciate you saying that because that to me is what a good reporter does. And I feel like I'm doing a good job with it. And it's it's not as hard as it might seem. So I'll walk you through it a little bit here. Um, there are a lot of companies in all aspects of commercial real estate, and most of them have PR companies that support them, that they're sort of the go-between. And when I first started working at Globe Street, I didn't know anyone. <laughs> um, I started reaching out to a couple of people every time a story was given to me. Hey, what do you think of this? And that network of people that I reached out to grew. And I have actually earned a reputation 
as a reporter in commercial real estate as having as being the guy with that list and and what is that list that list is about 140 names now so when i'm assigned a story every morning it could be about any aspect of commercial real estate not just apartments yeah i get the stories around 10 30 in the morning eastern time i usually comes from a link to something a report a press release whatever it is and i look at it and i decide where how i want to approach it and then i send it out like for instance one you mentioned today about um industrial they said that you know cap rates and interest rates are moving in this pattern at the end of the year so this is a huge report i pulled that one sentence out i sent it to my 140 people i said hey do you have any clients who have comments about this good or bad right or wrong up or down and then i sit back and wait to get the responses now i grew up in a daily newspaper environment so those kind of deadlines don't intimidate me um but basically i give all these people about five hours to get back to me and then i compile all of the responses and then try to make hay out of it try to make sense out of it um build a story out of it and then turn it in you know before dinner so yeah. well, uh, I, I, I love i love you, you you get so many different perspectives um and you know, just that piece as an example the it's titled opportunity to buy assets at lower prices might not last for long and it's it's a piece covering um cbre's um second half 2022 um cap rate survey and it's interesting that some a lot of the responses are similar but you definitely see some divergence especially in terms of um whether cap rates have you know fully expanded or they're just beginning where are we in the process of cap rate expansion and how long will that last and this idea that you know there's um you know there's sunshine kind of at the end or kind of see some light at the end of the tunnel and maybe at the beginning of 2024, even at the end of this year, maybe we'll see interest rates decrease and cap rates maybe come back down or at least not rise. But um, it was fascinating reading all those different opinions. I'm curious, since you've synthesized it, do you have a take on that conversation in terms of kind of where the market's going, at least from the sentiment that you've you've been reporting on? Um, looking long term, I don't. And here's why. I wake up every morning. The first thing I do is watch CNBC and Bloomberg for about two hours. Then I read the Wall Street Journal. Then I sit down and start working on my stories. I have a daily news mentality. So who, like you said, who would have known last Thursday what would have happened? How do we know what's going to happen next week? I mean, you got to love the overuse of transitory that we had with inflation before. I mean, yeah. nobody knows and nobody's right. So it's best to ask as many people as you can and have varied opinions in the story so that way everyone's got something they can um, grab onto um, that's to me a better story if i wrote a story that only said this was going to happen and not the opposite my stories would get kind of boring and i don't know um yeah by the way i wanted to make an offer to to some of your listeners so if you go to my linkedin page under contact you'll find i think i'm pretty sure my email my 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 um personal email and I think my phone number's on there. If anyone in the audience wants to contribute to stories or be part of this list as potential sources for stories, reach out to me. I will include you. I'm not I'm not difficult when it comes to that. Um, please do. I would love to add you.
That's awesome. Yeah. And we'll put, uh, we'll put a link to um, your LinkedIn um, and in the show notes. And yeah, if, especially if you're in the, the commercial real estate industry, reach out to Paul. Um, that's an exciting opportunity, especially to get, you know, featured in, in one of your, one of your pieces because they get highly distributed and you know, pretty well, very well read. I mean, we're certainly covering it just on a, about a weekly basis um, here at the gray report. So that's, that's exciting. Yeah. You guys do a good job of mixing it up with your, uh, with your content. I like it. We, we we appreciate it. We we try to stay on top of it and try to do some of the work um, that of kind of aggregating um, everything that's coming up. Because there's a lot of different sources, some known, well known, some um, not well known. And Globe Street is you know does an excellent job of doing this um, as well as gathering a lot of different information from different areas um, of the CRE space. Um, but yeah, we try to cut out some work for some folks who are trying to figure out what's going on on a daily basis in the CRE industry. Um, like to turn now back to kind of the past couple, couple days, this less than a week, um, some turmoil in the financial markets yesterday, president Biden came out just before markets opened, reassured American public that the banking system was safe. He said it three times, which made me feel less. Every time he said it, it made me feel a little less safe. To be honest, I was getting emails from banks that we work with assuring us that all was okay. And um, well, I think the intention was to reassure everyone. It's made everyone more and more nervous that there could be some you know, structural um, you know, problem with the financial sector and banking. And we've had so much volatility. So you know, as things move around, some things can certainly break. break. You, put up, you penned a piece this morning, which again was just perfect timing for our conversation, looking at the lens really through commercial real estate and some folks that are kind of in the middle of this because both banks had exposure to commercial real estate. Um, so it was just with Signature Bank having a much larger exposure and portfolio. Um, but I, I'd love to just hear a little bit more about your reporting and some of the folks that reached out to you um, of what's been going on in the commercial real estate, real estate space. And I know also prop tech space um, as there were some players in PropTech that had relationships with Silicon Valley Bank. So what, what what have you been hearing from your sources? Yeah, yeah. So the PropTech and the venture capital thing is what really interested me more than anything at the outset. Um, there are a lot of, I mean, PropTech's a big deal in, in apartment and yeah. in, in CRE and apartment management, and et cetera. And I know a lot of people who have have started startups, who work for startups, who finance startups, who brainstorm about things that they want to do. So when I started hearing that that was the crowd that was most nervous about what happened last week, uh, I reached out to a couple of them and they were not, they were not happy. They were nervous. They were um, trying to think, oh, the word was grave. Uh, one of my <laughs> friends said, well, this is a very grave situation right now. I'm thinking, oh no. Um, what are we going to do? What am I going to write? What are, who's going to say anything? Because it's hard to get people to talk negatively about what they've done. I mean, it's always, yeah. you know, so as a reporter, you just don't know what you're going to end up with. And then lo and behold, by Sunday night, right, right as I turn on the um, selection Sunday for the basketball tournament, then I flip over to CNBC and they've got a two hour special about what went down at the Fed and everything. Um, uh, that day or that, that past 48 hours. So you wake up Monday morning, uh, and all of a sudden there's a lot of relief, a lot of relief. There's still, like you said, some nervousness. We don't know what's next. Um, kind of unprecedented what's going on here. Yeah. And it's, it's going to be take it one day at a time. Uh, I think it is. Um, 
So we'll see. So so basically, I reached out to that list of people, and that's where a lot of the commentary I got was. And then I also reached out to some VC people that I knew. Um, so a lot of the comments there are related to PropTech and and the support that Sil that Silicon Valley Bank had given these companies and how they're ingrained in the fabric of all PropTech and and, and all that kind of thing. If you read the story, yeah. Um, but they're gone now. So it's going to be really interesting. Um, the next conference I go to, and by the way, if you don't attend industry conferences of any kind, you should, because yeah. you can gather more in 36 hours than you can in 36 days being at home on email. So uh, I get out a lot. And uh, I think my next event is in two weeks in Washington, DC. So I can't wait to see all my friends again there and, and understand how they're dealing with all of this. What are what are some of your favorite uh, industry events that you try to attend every year? Because I, I agree, I love going to um, industry conferences and events. And there's a lot of them, some big, some small. But oh any, my gosh, yeah, any, are, any, any ones that that you, that you go to regularly? Uh, there's a lot that I go to regularly. Um, I also love the fact that a lot of these events are in really cool cities and really cool yeah. places. So that makes it even more fun. Um, National Apartment Association has a series of conferences that I go to. Uh, the one that's in two weeks is in Washington, D.C. It's their govern government affairs event, so to speak. But you know what? They're still going to be talking operations and everything else while they're down there. Yeah. Uh, the National Multifamily Housing Council, NMHC, if you're familiar with them, they have a string of events all year long. So they've hired me to uh, write recaps for them of all of their events. Um, the most recent one they had was end of January in Las Vegas. It was the Apartment Strategies Conference. That was yeah. a lot of fun. Um, the biggest event of the year is in June in Atlanta, and it's called Apartmentalize. And I say it's biggest because it has the most attendees. Um, so if you love networking, you can't beat it. Yeah. Um, there's also, I mean, there's, like you said, niche conferences all the time. Last week, I went to a Build to Rent conference in Nashville. There was about 1,100 people there, and the entire two days was focused on content about companies getting into the Build to Rent community space, Yeah, which is kind of a new niche for commercial real estate, and it seems to be getting some momentum, so it was good to meet new people and learn new things from that. I put a couple stories on Globe Street. Yeah, so yeah. So um curious what your thoughts are just generally about build the ramps. I, I agree it's it's relatively new. Um we've looked at a handful of, of BTR deals. Um cur curious what you took away from the conference and just you know, what you've been hearing about the uh, sector. It's it seems like kind of a no-brainer can't miss situation if you can make it all work for you because you think about the fact that there's so many people depending on demographics or where they live or whatever where an apartment might not be big enough. They might not really like apartment living, but they don't want to buy a house. And the single family home market lately has been kind of a nightmare because of interest rates and mortgage rates have been going up, 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 at least, you know, for now. Um, so people are like, OK, well, I'll just bide my time and, and uh, rent a, a single family home with a yard. I might have a dog, um, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think it make it makes a lot of sense. I mean, especially when you look at just the demographic trends of, you know, millennials getting into that kind of family forming age of, you know, settling down, getting married, having kids. And yeah, all of a sudden you need a little you need a little bit more space in a backyard and um buying a single family home right now is so challenging. So I think it makes it's kind of a no brainer. I, I I don't disagree. I think I think this was in my headline, but the thing about BTR that was that was 
so true and so interesting last week was you talk about amenities, right? You've got a community pool, you've got a nice yard, you've got a playground, whatever you have, bike trails, whatever. The number one amenity, according to one panel, was storage space. Because hmm. People want a place to put their stuff. Yeah. And they said that if you provide a lot of storage space and people move in, they're not going to throw anything away and they're going to be less inclined to move out. Yeah. So therefore, they're, a, as they say, a sticky renter. Um, yeah. So yeah, if if you have a choice between putting in a, um, I don't know, I don't want to say another certainly, bathroom, but if you have room pool. to put, yeah, if you have room to put storage, go for it. No, that I, that that's real. That's really smart and, and makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think that we talk about just my wife anecdotally. You know, we're always talking about storage and needing more storage, and you know, probably after the kitchen and the bathrooms. I think storage is in in storage may be up there with with bathrooms probably just after bathrooms but that that's a that's a great point you know the the only challenge i see in the in the btr space um is and i'm sure some folks have, are figuring this out but it's just on the the execution um in, in the financing at, at times we've looked at a couple of transactions where you know it it doesn't necessarily fit the agency's um kind of box just yet because it may not all be fully delivered yet um uh, but some people certainly have figured it out or doing some interesting things and um yeah it's going to be interesting to just watch that um, kind of niche absolutely absolutely it's going to keep growing and i know that a lot of the investment sales shops are now kind of um not necessarily separating but they're trying to specialize and really ramp up their knowledge of of that space to try to kind of help buyers get into it um, a little bit more um you know we, we, we've talked a little about operations I, I and again you you did a piece recently i'm um, covering some of bh management's um kind of steps towards centralization and optimization um curious just understanding your take and it sounds like you focus on and or pay attention to kind of oper apartment operations pretty closely um we talked about how expenses have gone up it's hard to find um you know skilled um folks to work in um property management what are some of the challenges and opportunities um, that you've heard about um, going forward for apartment operations? Yeah, when you talk about centralization and, and people like to cling on to that as a trendy word and whether yeah. it's the right word, I don't know. But um, as I mentioned in my story, this is kind of the year for expense control um, yeah. because like you said, the rents aren't going up anywhere near like they were. Um, so every little bit counts. And centralization can work in leasing and management to some degree for some companies in some markets. The key is to have a lot of properties in a small space so that you can borrow from each other, so to speak, or, or mm -hmm. use each other in that way. Um, you know, if you have two properties that are 200 miles apart, you're not really going to be able to centralize yeah. anything. So yeah. it's not for everybody. Um, but it, it does bring some efficiencies to the operation. Um, maintenance has been kind of getting into that too, which seems to me to make a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, you know, because companies are approaching maintenance a little bit differently sometimes. They might have a maintenance team that fixes things, they might have a, a maintenance team that turns apartments, they might have a maintenance team that deals with landscaping if, if you happen to be in a garden style i mean there's ways that you can divvy up the responsibilities um that way to be more efficient and what i th also thought was interesting is okay so you're a maintenance person and they're hard to find 
you're a maintenance supervisor, which means you're really good and you're experienced. And when you're good at maintenance, you want to do maintenance. That's that's your thing. Yeah. You don't want to be doing administrative things. You don't want to be doing paperwork or ordering things. So all of a sudden, centralization will bail you out. It'll pull those responsibilities off your plate and make you better at what you want to do and that you're good at and not aggravate you to the point where you have to deal with software and paperwork and administrative yeah. tasks. So to me, that's a move in the right direction. You know, you hear these things, you think, well, gosh, why didn't they do that before? <laughs> um, but it's yeah. true that that's kind of what, what, where things are going. It, well, it seems, you know, once again, uh, necessity is mother of invention. And, you know, we've talked about it. I think you know, these ideas have been around a central, especially centralized management. And I think some of that is just natural consequence of, hey, we've got two properties next, next to each other. Let's share a maintenance guy. I think it, it starts there, but thinking about maintenance from a and leasing and all of your operations from, you know, how do we operate out of, you know, hubs, you know, whether it's spoken hub or, you know, a, a nodes and um, however you want to organize your, your system. Um, but it starts to make sense in certain areas. Um, but putting the plan together, I think is, is easier said than actually implementing that plan. And as you said, you need the economies of scale to make it work also. Yeah, I mean, think about it. You you're in. Um, well, I live in Northern Virginia, so you're in Fairfax County in Northern Virginia, and you own an apartment building, and someone's interested in it. They apply and they they tour, and and then maybe they just decide, you know what, this is just not not what I need or not what I want. Well, if you have three other properties within five miles of that yeah. area, then the centralized leasing, if you will, can refer to a sister community. Yeah. Well, I'm Why sorry, not we're not good for yeah. you, but but maybe you should go try this one over here, instead of just saying, "Well, thanks for coming by. Uh, good luck on your search." So, yeah. I mean, that's another aspect of of centralization, um, for local prospects. I yeah. Mean, yeah. No, I, it, it makes a lot of sense. And you know, that way, whether it's you know assistant managers or leasing consultants, you know, they can focus on you know assisting residents at the property, doing tours when they're on site. And but the you know the follow up kind of the more just really sales process that you know they're probably capable of doing but maybe they haven't seen, have not received enough training to be you know true you know experts at you know following up you can centralize that and keep in touch with those prospective residents but again having your on site team focus on the current residents I think you can have a better overall customer and renter experience. Yeah, uh, the other thing that we haven't mentioned today is the whole use of AI and yes, chat, uh, people use chatbots or or whatever type of messaging that you have going on, and the role that that's playing in all this. Um, if you're a prospect looking to rent an apartment in Northern Virginia, um, why does a leasing agent have to spend the first ten minutes of the call? answering the three or four most common questions when all that information can be provided easily on the website. And this is something that really got started a couple of years ago and apartment management companies and supplier partner companies are still perfecting this. And, and I think they're getting better and they will continue to get better. There's always glitches. Um, but I feel like everything else in the world that's moving in this direction, well, apartment leasing is too. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought up, brought that up and, just like other sectors, there's so many opportunities um, to implement AI. And I think the 
challenge is finding what the best use case is because you can find all kinds of different areas and and we've experimented with it for just writing you know writing scripts for releasing consultants and you know had to deal with um you know certain situations like implementing a valet trash fee and you know residents not being happy and putting into chat chat gpt you know the whole scenario and then it puts out a, an entire script of how to deal with a, a resident that is upset and has lived there for a long time and doesn't want to pay the fee and and you can uh you can specifically say you know how you want the leasing consultant to come off in you know empathetic manner and high level customer service and then you can hand those scripts and you know it, it's such an interesting tool um, and that's just, you know, one little example that we've played around with, but it's just the possibilities just keep opening themselves up as a fascinating tool. Are you worried about that from your, from, you know, what you do, what you do <laughs> as specifically, I was talking about this morning with Matt Bosnagel, what you're doing can't be replicated by ChatGPT because it's relationship based, but I'm curious about right. AI in your profession. Journalism. Yeah. I mean, I, I was going to say it if you didn't, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of chat GPT in that yeah. sense, but, but, you know, I hear people talking about what it can and can't do and it's great. And everybody wants to save time and everyone wants to have everything spelled correctly and the grammar to be right and all that. Yeah. Um, but really, you know, as a reporter, you're only as smart as, as who you reach out to. So it's, it's the information that you get from others that, makes my job invaluable, I think. And speaking of the chat GPT and conferences, I should mention that my other favorite conference is called AIM, the Apartment Innovation and Marketing Conference. And it's every year right around, I always remember because it's the week of, uh, right the week after the Kentucky Derby. So it's basically okay. the first, uh, first week in May-ish. And it's in Huntington Beach at the Hyatt, which is right down there on the beach. Now, I've I've lived in a lot of places, but the place that I've lived in the most or the place that I've liked the most where I live was Orange County, California. I went to uh -huh. high school in Irvine. So any chance I get to go back to California for any conference, I don't care if it's about, um, you know, trash pickup or what I'm there. <laughs> so yeah. this conference is coming up in May and they're going to have a, a, a pretty as I understand, they're going to have a pretty good focus on chat GPT and things like that. So I would encourage anyone out there who's in the apartment industry that either has been to go back or hasn't been to try that out. It's really a wonderful event. That's that's good. That's good to know. That wasn't on my radar for this year, but that, that's something we'll have to consider as well. Because that's, again, I think that's fascinating. And um, what things will look like in a couple of years, you know, who knows, but it, it'll be interesting and just how we're going to use this tool. Yeah, that conference is the one that kind of put things like, um, uh, what's it called? Matterport. Um, yeah. Yeah. Touring. They had those the guys yeah, before anyone else knew anything about it. They've had other guys, other speakers who have been way out in front on things. I mean, it's, it's always, it's always a, a great event. Um, and speaking of technology, since we've been talking so much about apartments, I mean, this is working in other aspects of commercial real estate as well. I mean, you would ask me earlier about touring. Um, we were kind of stuck with the pandemic in terms of having to do virtual tours for apartments. And I don't know how sticky that's been. I, I yeah. keep hearing that it's not that popular and people prefer going and I get that. I mean, who wouldn't, but in commercial real estate, if you want to look at a larger property, um, you know, warehouse, uh, office building or whatever, the technology there for touring remotely um, is really picked up. So yeah. you don't have to fly out to Chicago to see the building. You can feel like you're there with with other um, 
with the way technology is working now too. I think there's a lot of companies that are really improving on that experience. Yeah, no, I agree between the, like you said, the Matterport tours and some of the in, indoor kind of drone tours that they do nowadays and um, a lot of other tools. It's really, you, you can really get a good idea of the, the asset. And I feel as though that's becoming much more standard um, in in offerings now is to have some sort of virtual tour, um, whether it's indoor drone or, or something. Um, There's a company that you may or may not have heard of that's kind of growing called Infinity, like Infinity, except mm, it has two Ys yeah. at the end of it. Okay. And they have really perfected this, this science of, of virtual touring and feeling like you're there uh, better than anyone I've seen. So if you haven't checked out Infinity, you should at least look into that. That's awesome. I'll have to check them out. Um, we have talked about apartments a lot. Any trends um, in other CRE sectors um, that worth noting? Office has had um, all kinds of trouble um, as we're figuring out work from home and what does the office look like. Industrial seems to be doing have been doing quite well, although there's been some softness, um, but it's been really outperforming other sectors um, the last couple of years. Any other trends to watch in other CRE sectors? Yeah, it's kind of funny that people say industrial is having some softness, which which it is, but it's like. <laughs> It was so high up on the mountains yeah. for so long that I mean any softness is not necessarily a negative. Yeah. Um, yeah, the single family home market has been really interesting uh, with the mortgage rates and and the cost of doing financing. Um, what do we have? Retail. So I mean everyone likes retail, right? We shop every day. So I like I love getting assignments that have to do with retail, and you have the whole situation with e-commerce and e-commerce has taken over the world and all this kind of thing so when the pandemic came of course amazon was through the roof and e-commerce e-commerce well now the retail people are trying to figure out how to get the customers back in the door and they're doing a pretty good job of it so like everything else it's cyclical and they're they're getting better foot traffic now um by there, there's malls maybe maybe you have one there in indianapolis i don't know that provide experiences, not yeah. just shopping. So you can bring your yeah. family, you can hang out, there's entertainment. Um, gosh, Tyson's Corner Mall, which is owned by Simon, which is in Northern Virginia, which is my favorite mall in the country, by the way. You know, they'll have things like a Van Gogh art show going on. Yeah, very cool. And yeah. you know, you might pay 10 bucks for a ticket to go see an immersive tour of, of, of that yeah. while you're going shopping. So, yeah. I mean, they've come up with these ways to get the customers back in the door, and I think it's pretty cool. Um, the hotel industry, it seems like that is, I mean, if we all travel, right? You've seen the rates? I mean. Yeah. Yeah. The rough. If you it's have rough. an expense account and you're traveling, you're, <laughs> you got to save up. So, yeah. um, the hotels have been doing pretty well, I think. Um, what are we leaving out here? Um, hospitality restaurants i did a story on restaurants i don't know if it ran this week or not yet maybe it hasn't run yet you'll see it this week okay i, don't, I was um, gonna say i don't think i've seen it yet yeah yeah the editor sometimes hold on holds on to things for a few days but um you know it's talking about how sales are up but revenues down because mm -hmm. again you're dealing with the price of things yeah cost of labor the competition of quick service restaurants which has been they've been kind of been on a tear i mean again cyclical yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, it seems like, yeah, exactly. It is so cyclical inward that 
on that pendulum kind of swinging the other way. I mean, we experienced such extremes during the pandemic and now kind of being on the other side of it, we're starting to feel some of um, maybe not always pain, but just some of the after effects of what such a um, volatile period um, was. And I think there's some swing back on having some of those experiences, wanting to get out into public um, and going shopping, going to restaurants and not just ordering everything online and mm-hmm. as is most things will probably follow some you know we'll revert to the mean wherever that is um at, at some point it'll land somewhere in the middle but um yeah another another trend that i wrote about gosh it was a, over a year ago but I, i'm sure it's still here is when you talk about banking and you talk about retail how do you put those two together okay so think about all the times you've been driving around in your neighborhood and there was a drive-through at a bank well one how many people actually go in banks anymore yeah. not that many how many people actually go in the drive-through anymore? Not that many. If yeah. you're looking around to acquire a commercial real estate asset and it had or has a drive-through from a bank that maybe is out of business or now, those are the kind of golden opportunities you have because generally, um, from what I recall, is those properties have already been approved and zoned to have yeah. drive-throughs and they have the proper uh, streets that lead up to it and all that kind of thing. So. It's funny about reuse. I mean, reuse is another trendy thing. People keep talking about turning office buildings into apartments. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I just, my gut tells me that this is one of those things that the media is just pounding yes. you on because yeah. it sounds like it's such a great thing and it sounds like it makes perfect sense. But the very few sessions that I've been to at conferences where they talk about the process, I went to one in Atlanta back in the fall and they had a construction company as part of the panel or something like that. And they said there's only two or three architects in the country that are capable or do a good job at making those kind of plans. So you can't just flip a switch and turn an office into an apartment. So take it with a grain of salt is my opinion. That is exactly what I've heard. The most um, most proponents of office to multifamily have been from outside of commercial real estate and just from kind of bystanders saying, well, there's all these empty office buildings. Why not turn them into apartments? And again, it's way easier said than done because I've heard the exact same feedback from um, folks who have attempted to do it. I've talked to people that have done it. And they've said how difficult it is. You have one have to have such a cheap basis on the office building because just the floor plates and how you build an office building is just so different from right. an apartment building. And then when you think about utilities and mechanicals, you know, how many bathrooms are on an office floor? It's usually like one. <laughs> There's not kitchens everywhere. So you have to just, it's completely yeah, different. I, I, again, it's like that feel good thing, you know, it's like yeah. everyone wants it to succeed, but it's a self-fulfilling um you know and you and you talk about reuse too is um some of the shopping some shopping malls didn't survive and for whatever reason and they're talking about repurposing these shopping malls into residential space which okay that's fine um but also some of these big box stores that maybe gave way to e-commerce or whatever Mm -hmm. they're repurposing those spaces into smaller stores and and trying to make that work so reuse is a a smart uh approach to, to real estate i think yeah, I've also heard um, some fulfillment centers going into some former big box stores um, as right, well, exactly. so almost using them as like uh, warehouse space. Um, exactly. 
Um, so, Paul, I think you're the perfect person to ask this question. Um, I'm just curious on your opinion of coverage of the CRE um, space in the, I guess, larger financial like media, the CNBCs and, and, and Bloomberg. Because uh, before we we started, you said you know part of your routine is you watch some CNBC and Bloomberg and see what the news cycle is saying. And I, I do a similar thing. I, I typically are watching Bloomberg and CNBC. We're listening in the morning. Um, and I've noticed um, a lot more discussion on real estate, but especially commercial real estate in the last three, maybe six months or so. Some of it on offices, some of it on multifamily. Um, curious on your take, have you noticed that? And have, have you seen a difference in commercial real estate reporting on some of the broader financial networks? Mm, um, that's a great question, especially since I write about it every day. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I, well, let me, let me throw something, just one more piece out there. I guess my, my thought is, you know, typically they're covering, you know, assets that are publicly traded, that someone can, you know, go on E-Trade or whatever and actually, you know, buy or sell, go and buy and sell the stock, illiquid investments, private equity, you know, it's not always as sexy, you know, you can't make an action on it right then and there. Um, it, it's more niche. I've always assumed that's why I didn't always get as much coverage. And the stock market is obviously, you know, huge and easier to cover on a day-to-day -day basis. Here's my take, and we could talk another hour about this. Yeah, I'm here. sure. Maybe, maybe we will another time. But, um, you know, when you're on TV, it's different from print. It's different from an online story. So you have to take that into consideration because of ratings and clicks and headlines and clickbait and all that kind of thing. But what I also know, what I notice a lot about any reporting, including commercial real estate, including basketball, whatever it is, is there, it's very much a copycat industry. Um, who's the first person to get the story? And then right away, everyone else wants to write very similar to it. And they're mm -hmm. thinking, well, if they didn't hear it, yesterday from this outlet, well, now we look good because we're first. The, the, the thing that, that you have to think about when you're a reporter is you have to approach a topic and try to come up with an angle that no one else has written. And that's not easy. Um, I feel like I did that a lot at Units Magazine, by the way. So for anyone who read when I was there, um, you know, writing three stories a day, that's 15 stories a week on, on Globe Street, I cover the same topic over and over again. It can get a little bit repetitive. It can get a lot repetitive. It's my job to go out and find something different about this angle. What what can we talk about that's different? And um, that's why you read so many other, or watch watch or read so many other outlets because you're hoping you could pick up on something that they that that outlet didn't amplify that you could. Yeah. Um, so to me, that's the way that works. When you read, to me, the Wall Street Journal is so superior to any other publication in terms of news and and maybe not breaking news um but just features and analysis of anything to do with really anything um real estate anything to do with business if you aren't reading that then you're a day behind because that's the publication that a lot of these tv places will read and then repurpose yeah. that content um, you know, I'm I'm looking at things like 3D printing. I mean, we haven't even talked on that yet, but there have been some fascinating stories that CNBC has done. Uh, Diana Olick, if you know her, on where she goes out to these 3D printing sites. It's really really cool. Um, so I give her a lot of credit there. She went and found something that a lot of people hadn't reported on, in my opinion. Um, 
I just started watching Bloomberg Surveillance. I don't know if you watch that in the morning. Yeah, I used to be a CNBC guy all, all day long and Squawk Box. I just yeah. got the feeling with Squawk Box. It's become an entertainment show. They're so yeah. interested as hosts of that show to be funny, to be clever and to be engaging with each other. Bloomberg surveillance, they just cut right through it. They just yeah. get, if you want information and good guests and good hosts, and they somehow weave just enough sense of humor into the broadcast that it just keeps you going. So yeah, I, yeah, I enjoy it too. I really become a surveillance guy. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of what other big publications I, I look at. There's how many of us have been newslettered to death, by the way? I mean, there oh, yeah. are a lot of oh, newsletters so out there. You, ha yep. you have to, you really have to have something good and something different to keep your readership in that sense. I think you guys do. Yep. So I appreciate it. Yeah. 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 I no, mean, that was difficult because we, we just started doing it because we wanted to be on top of things and we figured why not start aggregating and. I found it was sometimes difficult to, uh, I was surprised sometimes I would find a report that was a little stale and it hadn't really been widely distributed or um, not, not they just kind of released it and not done much with it. And I figured, well, why don't we just start compiling these reports that come out and articles on the industry and just start sending them out weekly and see if anybody cares. And, you know, ended up, we started picking up more and more and more subscribers and yeah, it's worked out pretty well. See, this, this is the two, two models. You guys aggregate, which I yeah. like, because you're getting you're and automatically you're getting different sources of information from different writers. The people who have to put put newsletters out themselves with their own staff or their own person, yeah. think about how hard that is because there can't yeah. be a slow day. You have to fill each of those news holes and then everything gets treated kind of equally. So you don't really I mean, in some days your newsletter might be dull as doornails. Yeah. Another day, you might have three really big breaking stories. So the newsletter world is tough. Yeah, it is, and it's it's grown considerably over the last couple of years. Oh my which gosh, I, it I seemed kind of like a yeah, and and some do a really great job, and, and I enjoy reading, and and some I, I just ignore, and sometimes I just decide my inbox is too full already. I just can't can't deal with another one. So. <laughs> I'm just curious, and before we kind of round things out, um, just some other changes you've seen um, in, in the journalism space, um, specifically in commercial real estate, but also just kind of as an industry as a whole, um, you know, over the last couple of decades, um, there's been a ton of changes. You're still, you know, doing print and still, you know, writing in an era of, you know, TikTok and, you know, video and all, all of that. Um, what what's changed and you know what are you excited about and what are you concerned about well i would say in terms of distribution um it really bothers me when i hear that most kids get their news on TikTok. i don't do TikTok. i don't have TikTok. i'm not interested in get, jumping into that into yeah. that boat but what i noticed when i left naa three years ago was just how great of a site linkedin is for news mm -hmm. yeah um, now of course, it serves a lot of other purposes. You list available jobs, people talk about their colleagues and things that they did at work and all this stuff. But I like to think of my LinkedIn feed as a news feed, uh, as a news platform. Uh, and I think people appreciate that because you, you don't really wanna to go to LinkedIn and see a bunch of things you can see on Facebook. You know, exactly. You, exactly. you want to see news and information. And if you're looking for a job, well, then that's great. You definitely need to look. 
But guess what? You might be on LinkedIn and you see job openings. You might have a friend who's looking, so you can refer them that way. Um, I was, is, am a big Twitter guy. I, I've always loved Twitter that. for live information, but mm -hmm. I've gotten the feeling that Twitter is much more better for sports these days, Yeah, um, <laughs> which is fine because I'm a sports guy, but yeah. uh, not really for news anymore. And you know, where, where do cat videos fit in on all this? I don't know. I guess you somewhere can't in between cat, cat videos, but um, yeah, it's the internet at some point. The other, no, thing, I, the other trend that I see about commercial real estate reporting and reporting in general, and, and maybe you've noticed it is you want to go to a, a, a media outlet that has a beat reporter, somebody who just does this, whether it's commercial real estate, basketball, crypto, whatever it is. Um, too many times because if you read news publications especially like the washington post all these newspapers and news outlets are cutting staff all day long so what you find out when you go into those media sites is the reporters show up and they don't know what they're going to write about that day they're assigned something but if you can find a publication where you know it's paul bergeron he's going to write about apartments you know that's that's yeah, actually has some expertise. Yeah. yeah, you want to hang on that because that person has been following the industry for a long time. And I think TV news, TV business news does a really good job of that, too. I'm happy to say that's good. You know, I certainly have noticed um, in areas where I have some knowledge of, you know, reading an article that's done by a national um, outlet sometimes where it's pretty obvious that they have just started to learn about the subject matter that they're writing about. And then the good ones will do what you do and lean on their sources and have, have a lot of quotes. The others often miss, um, miss the point or misunderstand some, the subject matter. Um, and I don't think necessarily the broader public understands that when they're reading that. So I'm assuming that I'm reading other articles about subject matter I'm not as familiar with and it's taking, you know, their, um, you know, word, word as, as fact when mm -hmm. maybe they only have a service level understanding. Um, that that's a really good point that I, I probably don't think about too often about what that quality is of the, the reporter who's writing that piece. Yeah, if you want to really evaluate a good story or if you follow the news or if you're in the news business and you're watching a report on TV or you're reading something in the newspaper, magazine, online or whatever, is instead of just reading it for the information that you're getting, put yourself in the shoes of the reporter and think to yourself, did they ask the right questions to the right people in the right way? Were there questions that you wanted asked that weren't asked and therefore isn't in the story? And that way you can evaluate whether the reporter is good or not. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great advice. Well, Paul, we're, we're running out of time. Um, LinkedIn, I know, is a good place to get in touch with you. Anywhere else people should go um, to find you. You've got all kinds of articles out on Globe Street. How else can people get in touch with you if they want to um, reach out? LinkedIn is probably the best best way. I mean, a lot of the things I write, believe it or not, I don't have my name on. So if you have questions about things or you want to know if I've ever covered this or if you want to know anyone who is covering this, you know, reach out to me and ask me and I could probably put you in touch with a good resource. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, Paul, um, I, I hope we can have you back on um, another episode of The Great Report at some point. Um, your insight is really interesting um, and valuable and someone who's been there for, you know, for a couple decades now in different parts of the industry, um, looking kind of outside as a journalist, also kind of working inside some of the you know, larger associations um, in the industry. Um, and now with your, your new, new um, position at BH Management, it's really exciting as well. So you've had a lot of different 
um, points, vantage points in the industry. So we'd love yeah, to have you back on to be able to come. I, I love what I do. <laughs> awesome. Wonderful. All right, Paul, thanks so much. Appreciate you. And thanks for coming on the great report.